Welcome to Woman Up, the Desperate Art Wives podcast. I'm Susan Merrick and today I'm talking with Rose Gibbs. Rose Gibbs is an artist. She also curates, writes, organises discussions and runs the community organisation Mountford Growing Community in the estate where she lives. Welcome Rose. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I would love to hear um, a bit about what you got you into art and um, your, um, the instigations behind your work. Well, I mean, I think, um, firstly, I, I mean, I've been in, into art since I was a child. It was what I always wanted to do. And I don't think I'd ever envisaged anything different for myself. Um, that's not to say it wasn't a difficult process for me post-school in terms of I had I made lots of changes. I didn't take a, a regular route through art college. And um, I ended up studying ceramic design at Central St. Martins, having kind of felt slightly frustrated at their fine art department. Um, a couple of years after that, I had my daughter. I was quite young, in a way. I was, I think I was 24. And um, I just had this feeling, I think when I, whilst I was pregnant, about something about the cycles of life. And without sounding kind of like gloomy about this, because of course I was very excited about being pregnant and having a child, there was, I wanted to make sure I kind of like marked time in a way. And making art felt like a way of doing that. A big impetus for me making art was to try and find ways of expressing my my experience of the world. That has been a major thing for me. Excellent. That's a, that's a really powerful way to kind of come into the art world. Um, you work... Um, a lot in collectives, uh, especially within feminist collectives, um, women-only collectives, um, and you've written a lot about um, women-only spaces. Um, would you mind talking a bit more about that? Yeah, so well, whilst I was at the Royal College of Art, I wrote a thesis. Um, at first, my thesis, I wanted my thesis to be about um, artworks made by women about motherhood and birth and... Um, and I looked around and I couldn't find that many examples. But anyway, one way and another, one of the other things I looked at was the percentage of women being shown or represented by galleries in London. And I was just quite gobsmacked at the disparity. You know, it's, it was back then, 2010, about what, um, one woman to every three men. And it still pretty much remains um, that way. And... Um, that was one that's been one of the impetuses for me kind of trying to figure out ways of supporting other artists ways of um bringing women together to work and support each other's creative practice because there seems to be a phenomenon where there are not you know most of most art students are women and post art college they don't for for one reason or another it's the men that carry on being artists and the women that don't um and so this is a combination of different things. I think it's kind of like socialised confidence. And um, so one of my uh, objectives has been to set up groups that can support um, and facilitate the progress of other women's art practices. So one of the ways I've done this, for the last four years, since 2014, 
I and my friend Catherine Long set up a feminist peer mentoring group. Um, um, we meet on a bi-monthly basis. Um, you know, everyone has very busy lives, so um, it has, we only we meet every other month. And the idea is that we share each other's pra- uh, we share our practices with one another, and we um, cr- um, crit each other's work. We also bring each other if there's a particular article that we've been reading that we've really enjoyed. We bring that and share that with the group. And then more recently, um, we have been curating exhibitions. So Catherine and I have curated a few exhibitions. We create, curated um, an ex, a one-day exhibition the ICA a couple of years ago, and we produced a publication with artworks made for the page and accompanying essays. And um, then we have curated performance night at the showroom and more recently we've curated um, a show at Beaconsfield um, alongside a symposium. Um, Yeah so the idea is it's a small group of about 12 to 14 artists and we feel that it's important to have it as a closed group in order for people to kind of like build up trust um, and be able to have a small enough group to facilitate proper in-depth conversation um, and we also try and have a kind of like a public engagement by putting on workshops and symposiums and that kind of thing. So that's one of the ways in which I've been working to, yeah. to kind of, um, you know, both support my own practice and also hopefully to support some other artists' practices. Excellent, thank you. <laughs> I, can talk about, uh, I can talk about my other um, collectives as well. Yes, please. <laughs> if you want. So uh, in 2014... I put on this discussion, um, I, first of all I asked the Contemporary Arts Society if they'd hosted a discussion, a discussion called Taking Up Space, um, thinking about women-only exhibitions, um, and, and they said yes, I was very pleased by that, and um, in fact um, I wrote up the description, I invited, all, I invited a number of museum directors and curators and artists um, and an art critic Jen Thatcher as well, to come and speak at that. Now, as soon as the, art, um, the Contemporary Art Society sent that mail out um, to their mailing list with details of the event, they got flooded with, um, rec- you know, bookings. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we had to kind of look around and see who, who, where actually we could hold this event to um, accommodate the people. The, all the people that wanted to come and um and central St Martins ended up giving us not what just one but two lecture theatres which we filled with um big waiting lists so it's obvious wow. that there's a huge amount of interest in kind of working out why it is that women are not um showing yeah um when clearly they're kind of there's great there's lots of talent out there um so I did that discussion which was really fantastic and if you want to watch it you can find it on youtube yes please thank you rose um and then we can put the link um underneath the podcast as well oh yeah okay and so after that a student got in touch with me um sophia landstrom and um we started chatting about women's collectives one of the things that i had been interested in in terms of women exhibitions is as far as my research has gone all the work that was done in the 70s was kind of completely amazing because it actually for what uh, you know there can be a whole number of ideological um 
criticisms of women-only exhibitions as them being pigeonholing and categorising diverse um, practices under this kind of, like, very generic umbrella. Um, However, for uh, for me as an artist, it's one really good way of um, accessing, seeing work that was made in the 70s, and for that reason I feel very grateful for those exhibitions because without them, all all that work would have been would have been lost and we wouldn't really know about it. Um, so Sophia and I started looking into women's art collectives. Um, actually, in the first place, we're interested in art, separatist art collectives, contemporary separatist art collectives. Um, separatist as a way of um, having a space for women to where feminism is not contested, where the point of departure is the woman's... Um, perspective and um and from there kind of go on to have kind of like deeper conversations about equality about women's expression of their own experiences so it was interesting it was an interesting moment and so that was back in 2014 and I uh, my um way of conducting this research was to start speaking to people about it you know asking do you know any women's art collectives do you know any separatist women's art collectives yeah and what was incredibly interesting was the fact that so few people did, and also the fact that everyone was actually really shocked. There was a kind of, there was a, people were fairly appalled by this notion of a separatist art collective. Um, I think that has changed. I think in the four years since then, things have changed. I think that now the idea of women-only spaces are way more accepted. They're seen as necessary, not the only thing that we need, but definitely a really important place that's, um, for women to gather um, in, a pla- in, a, in a space where they feel trust and in a space where they can really um, have discussions without having to go over the basics, so to speak. Um, anyway, so this, um, this research into contemporary separatist spaces actually led us to looking, spending a lot of time looking at archives in the Women's um, Art Library and tracing um, the different women's art collectives of the 70s. And what is really interesting to see in those collectives is actually just how radical 70s feminists are. There's a lot of criticism about them having kind of middle-class concerns, being white and middle-class, and... Actually, if you look at what they're doing, and if you look at what they did, and if you look at the way in which they're operating, where they're trying to avoid institutions and set up alternatives, uh, it's really clear that they're they're far from being... They're they're, they're way more radical than this contemporary wave of feminism, which seems kind of directed towards women climbing the corporate structure. Uh, it was interesting, I spoke to Sue Richardson uh, on an earlier podcast and um, we had a really good discussion about um, using different forms of art in the 70s and looking for different ways of practising um, and she talked about it, you know, she they weren't necessarily, or, or herself, she wasn't necessarily looking for a, a, a new radical way of doing things, she was just pragmatically needing a radical way of doing things because they weren't being accepted into those institutions and um, she t- we talked about Kate Walker standing up at a, a conference and saying, I can't be the only person who's thinking this. 
why uh, we don't just need to try and get into these spaces which actually are very patriarchal. Why don't we look at doing things differently in a way that works for us as women? And from that grew the postal art event that then lasted for a couple of years. Um, uh, but, but Sue as well talks about um, the, the difficulty in in trying um, more later years. So in the last 10 years, she's loving that her work is being recognised now and getting out again. But still, she finds that it's um, it's only happening for certain... Um, uh, like to to commemorate certain um, certain things. So if it's, for example, last year was was to commemorate the hundred years of suffrage for some women, and um, she she said she just feels like is it going to be another hundred years before our work comes out again? She, you know, is there a way of um, using these using the collectives, which which I agree are really important um, and really necessary still? Um, is there a way of using that to to look at work that's not just um, categorised as being female or women, but that also um, looks at the other um, the other themes, the other context behind the work, um, which is as valuable as the fact that it's work by women and by feminists. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of what you were saying, uh, um, them making up, uh, the women in the 70s making other structures, I think the Women's Free Art Alliance is a really good example they had their exhibition sweet 16 and never been shown and for that they invited any person that um identified as an artist as a woman artist to um to exhibit their work and that removes lots of of the usual barriers to interest uh, um, barriers to access and um and it's interesting because then we you know there's the the shows of 78 or 79 at the ICA which, and you can kind of, so um, there was a show at the ICA of Alan Jones's work, and of course that provoked lots of outrage, and so and lots of protests. And um, Sandy Nairn at the ICA said, okay, well, if you women want to show, sh- bring, bring us some, show us the artists, and we'll see if we think they're good enough kind of thing. So the Women's Artist Collective, the Women's Artist Collective, they... Um, Took, uh, took on this challenge of finding artists to show at the ICA and this was the first of a series of three exhibitions at the ICA um, and in some ways this was seen as a betrayal of what had been the, the, the way, feminist way of doing things which was to do things outside of institutions and in their own spaces and to kind of like break down the usual kind of like hierarchies. Anyway, so they put on these three exhibitions which again I think we can be grateful for because they kind of like there and we can look and we can go back and visit them whereas yeah the other stuff you have to search a bit harder for yeah that can be the difficulty i think can't it for um for women artists that um that have been around have been making work and doing this but if they've been doing things in a different way has it been archived you know is it um is it available i mean we know from the women's arts library where we're based today there's a there's a huge amount archived but um there, there must be a lot elsewhere as well that we haven't seen or isn't being shown or talked about yeah that's true yeah yeah um, I'm really interested in um, the Mountford Growing Community, um, the the project that you've been running the last few years, Rose. Could you tell me more about that, please? Yeah, so the Mountford Growing Community, um, well, what happened was that I got a note through my door from Mustafa and Vic saying, who in the community wanted to transform the 
car, one of our car parks, we've got an estate with quite a few different car parks, which are all very underused. Who in the estate wanted to transform that um, car park into a garden? And I immediately wrote back saying, yes, me, I'd love to. No, I think that, so that note came through my door in 2015 or something like that. And I wrote back and I heard nothing back. And in 2016, so this is a year on from our new Tory government being voted back in, you know, which I have to say uh, I was, I would not have expected. And um, I live in Hackney, so what can I say? I'm probably very out of touch with the rest of the UK. Uh, And um, then we had the referendum. And there was something about that, the feeling, it just reinforced how disenfranchised everyone must be feeling. And, you know, I haven't really a clue how to um, encourage people to be more engaged politically and to make people feel, make people feel like they can have power and they can have access to power and and kind of provide them with access to, to power. And so I guess I started the... Mountford growing community on the very kind of like basic level of thinking this is a really straightforward simple way of facilitating the community's um, autonomy the community to have greater autonomy over their immediate environment Um, and so I put together uh, so we've just uh, we've kind of like won a number of different grants and with those grants we've started a community organization community garden which has been amazing because you know in my grant applications I was writing all these kind of like grand things about how it's going to bring people together and how it was going to be really good for everyone's health and it was how it was going to reduce socialized social isolation and all those kinds of things thinking well you know I might do some of that but probably you know it will just kind of touch it but in fact it's been completely amazing it's completely kind of transformed things and set up all sorts of conversations and and seed swaps within the um estate which i never would have expected and i get uh emails from strangers saying how much it's improved their um their walk to work and all sorts of things like that and just i'm just quite i'm I heard on Wednesday that I've got the grant for my ne- the next part of this project, which is um, a three-strand after-school club, which will have two physical strands um, for the boys and girls on the estate, um, which uh, which will feed and inform a third strand, which is a design strand, which will be run by uh, some architects who run uh, portfolio building and design. Um, uh, workshops in schools across London. Um, they'll be redesigning the public spaces within the estate together uh-huh. and presenting those design proposals to um, the residents and the council, and hopefully going through the applications to make to put those to um, realise those designs. Um, and then the other project, the other part of the project at the moment has been a community cookbook. Um, which has been a different way of engaging with those people who weren't necessarily involved in the garden. Um, And um, we're going to be... That's just having its final edits at the moment, and we're going to be having a launch for it shortly. That's fantastic. It's a really clear example of how art and artists can think think in different ways, potentially, of, uh, of how to 
bring about community groups and to um, bring people together. I think it, it's especially in a time, as you say, that's quite turbulent. Um, when you don't, and we don't necessarily have community hubs. Um, if you're not religious, if you don't, um, or if you're not part of a school, maybe you, you know, how do you come together as a community in groups? And yeah. I think something like a, a shared space like that is really um, fantastic and simple yeah. way of doing that, and uh, and and broaching everybody on different generational levels as well. Yeah, what, is it? what I find funny, actually, so I emailed my various TRA members for ages saying, who wants to start this community garden with me kind of thing? And eventually someone got back to me and said, oh, you know, come over and, you know, a neighbour I'd never met said, come over and have a tea and let's talk about it. So I went over to have a tea with her and, you know, there, and as it turned out, she was an artist. And the other person, other neighbour that had also turned up was also an artist. Oh, interesting. And, it, you know, without their help, I wouldn't have been able to set, that, set the organisation yeah. up. Um, they've um, since left our estates. But, um, yeah, it just, I, would, I kind of thought in some ways the fact that they're artists doesn't surprise me because there's something, you know, artists are willing to um, or do. You know, they're self-initiating people. You yeah. know, they... Um, they get things going and they don't ask for anyone's permission to do things to do so kind of thing yeah um and so. it's interesting the link uh that was made between um you've made between autonomy and um and and people feeling uh, potentially powerless um i there was uh, i spoke to somebody at the social arts summit recently who was very much talking about um choice and control and that the NHS are really looking at how people, if people have more choices and have more control over those choices, uh, we, we all feel that we have more control over our lives and we feel um, uh, healthier mm. and our, our mental health is healthier mm. when we have more choice mm. and we can make more choices. So, mm. um, and, that, and that is ac- across the board. So yeah. I think like community spaces where it's communities... You know, and the, you know, like yourselves, the people who were living there, who were making the decisions about those spaces, rather than anybody else coming in from above, yeah. uh, deciding it. So the other thing, uh, another thing that happened in twenty before the um, elections in twenty fifteen, I had been invited to go and speak t- um, to some sixth form college kids about feminism primarily. And anyway, as part of this discussion, there was there was a panel, there was various talks and a panel discussion at the end. Um, I think the question came up about uh, the election and one of my fellow panellists said, well, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't bother voting. And I was just kind of completely shocked. I was like, how can you be saying this? This, These are teenage kids. You need to make them feel like they can have some impact and they do. They can have some impact on the world, even if even if by uh, even if by only voting. Um, And so I think it's really I think. It's really key to make people feel like they can have um, some positive effects and engage with um, engage with um, politics um, and uh, themselves. Um, so one of the, I mean, and one of the things with this after school club um, is to hope to sort of like install that feeling or kind of facilitate um, the young kids on the estate having um, some engaging with our community, yeah. engaging with. Um, the the political system um, as well, and um, just down the road from us, we had a, we have a um, 
after school club, which sadly has now been knocked down. And we all know that with austerity, loads of the youth centres have been closed down. And this really matters. And it really matters for young kids in London. And we all know, you know, the the number of um, of, of young people who've been killed, you know, over the last year is appalling. And uh, it, ha- it has to be something to do with the lack of um, options for them in terms of yeah, uh, in terms of youth centres. And so one of my um, one of one of the reasons I was kind of keen to set this after school club up was a, as a way, a very small way, I see, to to kind of give the kids some um, some um, positive um, ways to engage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, somebody else who spoke to on the podcast, um, uh, Hibo Wadair, was talking very similarly about um, the lack of after-school clubs being a huge um, uh, affecting factor uh, on on what what children are doing, what um, uh, but also on their own aspirations. Mm. Um, you know, if their education and their um, social time around that is is limited, then. Um, look look for things elsewhere and mm. it, it can be problematic mm. one of the things is we're really lucky there's a great guy on my estate called Rikita and um he's been running voluntarily fitness classes with with the young um with the younger kids on the estate Brilliant. so one of the the good things about this grant is that I will be able to kind of actually support that, that work because it's those kinds of people who are have a huge kind of like assets in, a, in community and and our um, governments need to be much better at supporting those and recognising and supporting them, I think. They make the difference. But another thing to say about the community garden, which has been really lovely, is a lot of the uh, people on my estate um, have poor English language skills. And one of the things I found with the gardening is it's a really good way uh, um, for people to socialise in, no- in a non-verbal se- in a setting where language doesn't predominate. Where, you, where we can communicate through actions and through doing things together. And this is really important for, um, for, for people who, who can find themselves isolated because they don't have English language skills. So that, that's, an, that's been another kind of like upside of the, of the garden is, is kind of facilitating other kind of ways of being a community if that makes sense it really does and I think that's an excellent point to end on thank you so much Rose and thank you for coming to talk to us thank you for listening this was Woman Up a podcast series by Desperate Art Wives